Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. As always, I am Dr. Kent. And I am usually Randy Baker, and today I am. So there's a surprise for everybody. And he, he is what he says he is. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can verify. So today we're traveling to the Loire Valley in France um, via New York City, Miami, Berlin, Madagascar, Lisbon and various other places. So kind of a whirlwind. Yeah, and I, I can't remember if it was on the show or if it was before the show, but apparently Madagascar has like 80% of its biome, like the, the living stuff in Madagascar is not found anywhere else in the world. Fun fact. Yeah, there you go. So Madagascar. So I was there, I think mid 80s, 84-ish, and there were lemurs there. I think, I guess it's known for its lemurs. I called them monkeys and I was soon corrected. Well, I, I think she talked about like a, a pinky sized lemur. Was that on the call? Anyway, she, she told, unless I dreamed it. The other thing she said was microscopic frogs. That was also really interesting. But she, she yeah. did talk about more than just nature. Uh, she talked about kind of this really maze-like labyrinthine life from from across the world, across continents, fascinating life story. So Kent, she's she's lived in more countries than I can probably think of. So a true nomad in the sense that she puts down roots and then sells everything moves. With two two suitcase, which is a really appealing idea. You know, as the clutter, you know, fills the basement or the back room or whatever else, just to sell it all and, and take two suitcases. So let's pack it all up and dive into the interview. This is Lever RJ. So nice to talk with you, Leva. Now you have to explain to us again about your name. So you, you just kind of explained it, but let's start there because it's it leads to the more interesting conversation about your origin story, which is pretty cool. Okay, well, thanks for having me. Hi, Kent and Randy. Uh, my name, my name. So my first name, Levi, is from Madagascar. It means, okay, you're going to laugh here, but it actually means source of life, or also it means Sprout, which is a nickname that some of my friends like to give me. Hey, Sprout. Hey, Sprout, do you want this? So that's for the fun of it. And uh, I go by RJ because those are actually two last names. My uh, stepdad's name is Judic, J-U-D-I-C, which is the one that I officially go by on papers and etc. But then there's my biological, my dad dad's name, which is a name from Madagascar because that's where I'm from originally. And it's a little complicated, so I just simplify it by putting RJ. I have both with me. I love it. It has it has class, uh, and I'm sure it stimulates conversations anytime you meet people on paper. So, so I, I have, I'm I'm gonna kick right across the desk here to Randy because, Leva, you you talked about working in 13 countries and growing up all over the world, and this really remarkable story we'll ask you about in a bit from when you were a kid. Um, but Randy's the multi-country guy of our duo here. Awesome. So, Leva, I'm interested in um, how you evolved culturally 
Um, I'm thinking about you. I presume you lived in New York for a while. Yes. 20 years ago or so, I'm guessing. Yes. Now you're in a, a farmhouse in the Loire Valley in France. Now that's going from one extreme to another. Few people have the uh, capacity to enjoy both lifestyles, New York and country, and there must be an evolution there. So I would love to know about that. Yes. Yeah, so, yes, uh, let me reassure you, it did not happen overnight. If you had told me 20 years ago when I was in New York that one day I would end up, first of all, in France, and then in the countryside, in the Loire Valley, on a farm, that's like four elements already, I would have said, you're crazy. Like, just go home, you're crazy, or you're drunk. Uh, but it's an evolution. Um, I went from New York to actually, um, as, as you know, I, I'm, uh, I used to work in the World Trade Center. So I'm a survivor of 9-11. And um, after that, I went to, uh, to France, which is where my parents, my mom and my stepdad live. Not too far away from here. So that's one ounce of an answer for you. I came back to France uh, and uh, I actually was based out of here working for my birth country, which is Madagascar. I worked for the president of Madagascar at that time. Uh, it's, it may be one of the reasons why you guys are familiar with Madagascar, because I was the one who helped Pixar um, make the movie. Yeah, a reality. Absolutely. <laughs> So um, I facilitated that. So that job was very time consuming, energy consuming, and I had to travel a lot with that job. But after that, I went back to New York, you know, because New York feels like home. The U.S. feels like home, really culturally. And, uh, and then from there on, I went to uh, Miami because I had moved on to a different personal groove where I needed more time. I needed the ocean. And, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, when at some point you just slow down a little bit, but it was still Miami. I mean, hello. <laughs> uh, and after Miami, I actually went to Berlin because in the middle of all of that, while I lived in New York, I had this crazy idea and it's part of what I do, do things that people think is, do things that people think are impossible. I, I went ahead and bought an apartment in Berlin at the time. Germany, yeah. So from Miami uh, in 2016, early 2016, I knew it was time for me to leave. And I just went home, quote unquote, under my own roof in Berlin, um, stayed there for a while, and then moved to Lisbon in Portugal because I just had a layover in Lisbon, loved it, uh, loved the vibe. And I was like, why not? Came with my two suitcases. And that's it. Already the same story when I moved to Miami and left New York, sold everything, two suitcases, arrived in Miami, crashed on a friend's sofa. And from there on, life just catches up with you. You get a first consulting contract. The very first time you get there, you're at a party and somebody talks about this and that and boom, boom, boom. That's, that's just how it goes for me. You go for it. And then life just meets you right there. And after Lisbon, I actually wanted to stay in uh in Portugal and I buy some land there, just compared the prices of countryside, you know, land and, and places. And, and then I saw this place where I'm at online and I decided I would be, I would be coming here. 
because uh, I was very inspired once I saw this. I mean, it's a Loire Valley, so it's historical. It's in the middle of a UNESCO protected area, of course, World Heritage. It's a place, it's a wine country. It's a place for gastronomy. I mean, what's there not to like? There's like the forest and the rivers nearby. I mean, I'm not selling you a dream. This is really where I am now. And also when I saw the property and I came to see it, it was very clear to me that, you know, as regards my job, I wanted to turn that place into a place for soul and creative creativity-centered uh, retreats. Right. So the Loire Valley is a very popular place for the more wealthy Americans to buy old farmhouses and renovate them and build them up and create a, a mini America in the uh, in the beautiful French countryside. Do you feel that that is actually damaging to the valley? Well, to be honest, I don't see that many Americans. I see a lot of British people, a lot mm -hmm. of them. So far, I don't find it damaging because one of the things of the Loire Valley is everybody is happy to keep to themselves. So while you're not in a big city, you still have this respect for personal space that you can find in big cities. At least when you're foreigners, American or British, you know, Anglo um, in general. So there is a pretty dynamic expat community here that I'm part of. And um, yes, they're everywhere. I have people from New Zealand, from Australia, England, of course, US. There's everything, but they are not here with with the, a spirit or an intention to conquer. They're here to basically really bathe in the beauty mm -hmm. of what it is here. So there's no intention to transform what's around them. There's more an, in, uh, an intention to actually soak it all in and, and become one of the locals. It's, it's a very different approach. Nice. Very nice. I want to go back. You, so you were born in Madagascar. Yeah. I was there back in the mid-'80s, and I can't remember all that much about it, but oh. I remember monkeys. That's the only thing I can recall. Lemurs. Yes, lemurs. That's what it was. How long did you live there? And you've obviously maintained connection with those roots. So what's that journey been like? Uh, so my story with Madagascar has been, you know, like a dotted line. So obviously I was born there. I have a little bit of a traumatic personal story where, you know, one and a half, my parents and I were involved in a car crash. Um, my dad died on the spot. My mom was very badly maimed. So that was when I was one and a half. And when I was four, she still wasn't able to actually stay standing. And she wanted to give me a better future because she couldn't even work. Uh, we we basically lost everything, and the friends disappeared. We were homeless. We we lived in, in in poverty. I remember having to decide who to beg in the family to get a hot meal the very evening, all the following day. So those are very vivid memories that I, that I'm keeping. And at four, my mom said, "You need a better future. It's not going to be with me." I'm going to send you, you're going to go on a plane. It's going to take a while. And I'm sending you to people who are part of the family. You can trust them. And there I was off on my 20-hour uh, trip, my first flight solo, four and a half. I was, yeah, it was a 12-hour flight. That was interesting. But, but I caught the bug right there, honestly. And I lived with this family, which was abusive. So I'm just going to fly over that episode. But uh, then my mom came and picked me up when I was eight because she was able to 
stay standing. She was able to walk. It was a miracle. They never thought that she would be able to. So she picked me up and she took me back with her. And uh, we went back to live in Madagascar until I was 14. But in the meantime, she actually met my stepdad, who's from France, from Brittany. And I was very lucky because, you know, the seasons are inverted, right? Uh, so it's fall here and it's spring there in the Southern Hemisphere. So which meant that I would go to school during the same period as anyone in the Northern Hemisphere. But meaning that I was at school there during the summer. When the winter months came, I was on vacation, my summer vacation up north in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, I was very lucky to have my stepdad because I was with his family. And also because I had this thing for languages, um, he, he and my mom sent me to England and Germany every summer to learn the language. Yeah, that's, that's how, how that went. And uh, we left when I was 14 and we moved to the north of France. So, Leva, uh, it's clear your work now is you know, very parallel to the, there's a Toni Morrison quote on your site, but you want to kind of pay back some of the abundance that you've received and, and so forth. But I almost want to go a slightly different direction and ask you what you've kind of learned from near-death experiences, which changes, you know, brain chemistry, you know, um, abuse, but also great joy, great experiences, tons of cultures, tons of countries, corporate, not corporate, uh, Hollywood, <laughs> not Hollywood, cartoon in real life. What What is, you're sort of like a Siddhartha character, right, where it's, you've experienced a whole lot. How do, you, how do you feel like you've progressed and where are you headed now? So, yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, my life is really a life of massive contrasts. Absolutely. Honestly, the early years, as everyone knows, you know, your early years actually inform who you become later on. And then you can change once you become aware of what's going on. The early years were really traumatic. I'm not going to lie about that. But that is the negative part. But then I want to contrast that with what I picked up from it. For example, I picked up from near-death experiences this curiosity and enthusiasm for life that I don't think I would have had otherwise. I am super curious about people, about cultures. I want to know how people live. And this is what actually led me to live and work in 13 different countries. That is the first thing. But that also leads to the second one, being very curious to how people are, but like positively curious, not in a way that not nosy, but just really, I want to know, I marvel at how people, how cultures work, how people understand things, how people explain things, how people, all of that, how people feel things. It's really important. So that also led me to reinvention. Because seeing how, how other people would do things, it would really inspire me. So I would be curious, look at how they do it. I would get really inspired. And then whatever inspired me the most, I would go like, yeah, I think I can do that. I think I'd like to do that. And that's how I kept on reinventing myself very early on. I always say that the very first major uh, place where I learned to reinvent myself was school. I went to school. I was four and a half. In France, imagine this kid from what we called at the time a third world country. Imagine this kid 
who used to have one outfit per week to go to school and all of a sudden gets into this weird world you know in the northern hemisphere she goes to school she doesn't understand a word that people are saying at school and they're all her age and there's like a few adults so the first thing i did was like observe pause oh this this little girl says to this little boy hello and he responds hello i'm like okay so mirror if somebody says hello you mirror by saying hello and then what's your name and Thankfully, the guy asked that to the girl, and the girl, thankfully, her name was Caroline. And I know Caroline is a name, right? And I was like, oh, so that's how you ask for the name. Okay, great. And that's how I adapted. And soon enough, school became the place where I could be myself, feeling safe, but also I could show myself that I could do things, that I could learn things. And I was always very aware of where I came from. And thinking, wow, I don't think I would have ever learned this if I had stayed with mom over there. So really being grateful, that's the other step. Really being grateful, being really, really acknowledge where you come from. No matter what it is, where it is, really acknowledge that. And really being grateful for, wow, yeah, I don't think I would, oh, wow, I'm grateful because I know how to do this and that. School became the place where I reinvented myself because all of a sudden I was this kid who A, knew how to learn the language, how to speak the language, and also B, had, you know, great grades at school. So I was like, yeah, I'm worth it. And also I can make it happen. So that's it. So I, I find you fascinating. Thank you. You've, you've got to be one of the original nomads in the sense that You've lived all over the world. You you stay somewhere for a while and you sell up and take your two suitcases to the next adventure. Most people find changing jobs, changing homes, changing countries to be incredibly stressful. And then when I look around myself and and my colleagues and my the folk I know in business, a lot of them suffer from overwhelm and they haven't even done all the stressful things they've been in a nice career path in the same city in the same business so forth how do you deal with the overwhelm of so much transition Mm -hmm. and how do you relate that to what you're doing now so what i can say is that you know it's, it's it's like in business life and business the same thing you learn to make it fun you learn to actually ride the wave you don't fight the wave because you're never going to win. You just learn to ride the wave and make it as fun as possible, as light as possible. Like that would be, I would say, that would be the, the main thing that I would say. But also, yes, because of my past, of course, uh, moving countries or moving places for me is nothing. If you told me now, hey, Leva, you know what? If you, if you said, Leva, I have this amazing idea, let's do this, whatever, let's go to Australia. It could be a year, could be two months, three years, don't know. And if I liked your, you know, your idea would be like, yeah, let's just do it, really. But again, it comes back to my curiosity and this enthusiasm for life. It's like, there's always something for me to learn there. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. But how I deal with the overwhelm when I do get overwhelmed, because trust me, I do. It's not all beautiful and whatever, because also the traumas. 
mean that I have a bunch of triggers that I need to deal with, that I have dealt with, and some of them are not quite dealt with yet. But the way I do it is exactly what I want to share with the people that I work with is I teach people to pause. So what I say is I, because I, I love to work with women, so I want to be very inclusive. That's why I say women and not women. I take women on a journey to inner peace. So they basically reconnect with the peace within them so that they come out, first of all, grounded and feeling empowered to actually become who they always dreamed to be. So that's what I do now. That's actually my job. I coach women through that. And, and I do that in a holistic way, meaning that it's not just, you know, the executive coaching methods that I learned for my certification. It's part of who I am that I gathered ancient wisdoms from all over the world that I actually apply when I work with those people to help them. I had different ways to reach that inner peace. There's a very calm pacing to the way you speak, which is lovely. And I, I wanted to kind of underline that piece. So it's clear that you're a healer, right? You have this sensibility of calm and, and it makes sense that when people work with you, they get to that place. So I, I, I almost want to ask the relationship between trauma and calm. Because it's sort of, you know, you, you are a survivor of 9-11, of many other kind of situations in life, you know, horrible trauma. But oftentimes people who have been through trauma get to a place of almost even greater calm. Sort of like when you tense your, your fists, you can get to a calmer space uh, with your hands. Mm -hmm. But how, how equate that sort of trauma and calm? Well, basically to me, it's the same it's kind of the same, the two sides of the same coin, where you have basically trauma being the, the, the place of violence, the place of aggression, the place of attack from outside. And then you have calm, which comes from inside. So it really is the calm can be a, a reaction or a consequence of the trauma, but there's something that stands in between the two of them. And it's fear. It's really fear. Because once you get trauma, what does it mean? It means you're afraid. It means you're scared. And excuse my French, you're shit scared. That's what happens when you have trauma. There's something that you're shit scared of. People who are traumatized, and I have, you know, been treated for PTSD for 9-11 for a while. And trust me, like two weeks after 9-11, I had to fly back to London because I used to work for a unit of the Financial Times. Trust me, I had to sit 24 hours at JFK airport watching the planes take off and land one after the other. Tears streaming down my cheeks thinking I need to do this. There's no way I'm never going to travel again just because of some morons being stupid with the world. And, and I had to face the fear and I knew that fear could control me for a long time. And in fact, I'm going to be very honest with you, it still controls me in certain circumstances, i.e. I used to never be claustrophobic, but because of 9-11, because I should have been in the elevator at the time it hit the tower, because it's a plane. Since 9-11, I've become terribly claustrophobic. So if I'm in an elevator 
and it takes a little while to just, you know, station and then open the doors. I go in a panic. Forget about it. <laughs> so when I go, I like to have someone I know with me so that they can call me and help me breathe. I brief people, but that's the thing. I will never get in a place of calm for that. And I know it, but I acknowledge it. And I think that's the whole power. Being aware of what is that fear, acknowledging it exists, and then deciding whether or not you can or you want, if you have motivation enough to fight it. And when I say fight it, it's not, I think that's not the right word. It's more a question of like, if you have motivation enough to stare it in the eye and say, it's you or me. But hey, buddy, it's going to be me. You can go in the back seat. I'm the driver. I'm the boss. Go back. Strap yourself up and shut up. That's it. And that's how I got into a place of calm for a bunch of my traumas. I love the, the simplicity of the stories you're telling. I mean, it's very simple to understand that you look in the face of fear and, and it's like sitting there watching the airplanes go. It's like yeah. they're... Airplanes are working, I, you know, <laughs> um, and it really remarkable to kind of, you know, some of the, the stories of trauma that we've all read, you know, of people who survived the Holocaust or of various things. You, you have to work through that stuff and this painful thing. I also think it's really funny that you said, um, excuse my French, as someone who <laughs> lives in France. First time I've ever had a, uh, yeah, but I, a little bit of humor in your approach is also really refreshing and I'm sure, sure um, is deep within you. As a kind of last question for me, and Randy might have some more to counter, but my last question would be, what, would, um, what do you think your mom wanted for you when you were four and a half and do you think you're you're on the way towards that no i think like every mom my mom wanted me to have a normal life not having to beg for food um she wanted me to have a roof over my head that would be mine she wanted me to um, study uh, she wanted me to to be accomplished in many ways she's a mom of course that's that's really what she wanted for me I think she's very happy for a lot of those things, especially coming here to the Loire Valley. First of all, uh, when I bought my apartment in Berlin, that was my very first purchase, real estate purchase. And I didn't tell anyone, no one. I did my own thing and I flew back and forth between New York and Berlin. People are like, this chick, she's crazy. She buys, she's not even here and she does all this stuff and she kind of speaks German, but not really speaks German, but she just gets away with it. So people were like, she's really crazy. And I did that without telling anyone. And once it was done, I told my parents, do you want to come for a weekend in Berlin? I want to show you something. They're like, oh, but what? I'm like, come on, just, just come to Berlin. Come on, it's nice, whatever. And uh, they came for a weekend and they're like, oh, they're like, where are we going to stay? Don't, don't look for a place to stay. You know, it's, it, it was a studio, but very well done and everything. And of course, I decorated and this and that. And I was like, oh, no, no, I found a place for you. It's a little studio, and it's, like, right at this place, and it's 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 near Ostkreuz. It's very near all the trains that come from the airport. It's on a straight line. It's super easy, la, 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 And they get there. They're like, yeah, that was so easy. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. How did you find this place? Yeah, yeah. So who are the owners? And they come in. They're like, oh, it's super nice. Oh, oh yeah, you like this kind of decoration. Like, you would do this. And I'm like, well, actually, it's my place. They're like, what do you mean it's your place? You rented it? No, I, I bought the place. And they were like, you, you what? 
I own this place. I bought it. They're like, what? But you live in New York. What? What? And they were so proud. Like I could see their hearts swell with pride and relief as far as my mom is concerned because homeless, now there's a home. It might be tiny, but it is a home. And it's in a big capital of Europe. I mean, hello, seriously? I mean, I, I was telling this uh, to my partner, I think two days ago. I remember, I don't know which New Year's Eve it was. It was my mom and I alone watching TV in Madagascar. And the CDs just came out. And we watched that on the news and we were just sitting there and watching that. And I looked at my mom. I remember saying, oh, mom, look at those things. They look magical. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, too bad I'll never have any of those. <sighs> but no, look, I mean, so yes, I think she, she was, she, she's very happy with that. And now that I'm here, I'm in France, I'm an hour drive away from them. It's a massive farm. I have eight buildings. I have a lot of land. It's a historical place. I mean, I think that the, the oldest building dates back from uh, late 14th century. I think for that, I just crossed and ticked all the boxes for her. There's other boxes that I have not ticked for her. She wanted me to be in a corporation and, you know, the classical, you need to be a banker or a lawyer or blah, 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 blah. blah. She was very happy when I was a diplomat. She was less happy when I got poisoned as a diplomat or when I got attacked and, and hit and whatever. She was less happy with that. She was less happy with the verbal attacks on the, the, the forums and the blogs and blah, 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 pertaining to the country. Et she was less happy, but still, you know, she's like, wow, she made it. Wow. So today I think she's 90% happy with, with, with uh, where I am and, and she's still waiting to see what's coming next. So I have just a, a couple of pretty simple questions. Being Australian, it is normal for us to, as a rite of passage, to travel the world quite a lot. In America, that happens far less frequently. I know people here in Austin who have never been outside of the state of Texas. So if anybody does want to travel and does want to come and knock on your door and say, how do I do it, what would you say to them? I would say just uh, give me a call, drop me an email, drop me a DM, and uh, and I'll help you. Let's see how long, and I'll help you. <laughs> and how can those people connect with you? I mean, DMs. You have a website. Um, is there any other way? Yes, it's easy to see me. It's livarj, L-I-V-A-R-J dot com, and then there's a little thing where you always like you can put your name and send me a message. Or you can go on my Instagram. That's where I'm most uh, active. It's live, L-I-V dot alive. And uh, there's another one for the farm. It's a little bit more complicated because it's French. So it's called La Ferme Dercé. So L-A-F-E-R-M-E-D-E-R-C-E. But once you find Live Alive, you'll be connected to the farm afterwards it's easy to find and then otherwise i'm also on facebook i have a, a public profile where you can find me under leva rj or leva judic or you do facebook.com forward slash it's leva all one word and that's me that might have been the, the best I, I, of all the tags we've asked people to give uh, that that might have been the most interesting i could just listen to all of that without even knowing what you're talking about. That was really fun. <laughs> and and if I was, you know, in a space to be to be interested in being an international person, 
and travel the world and do something great with my life, I would reach out to you. Really inspiring. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you for having me. And yes, please do reach out. Thank you, Leva. I think you said a couple of things that really impressed me. One was ride the wave. Um, uh, I'm a surfer from way back and it was always never fight against the wave, always feel it, be one with it, ride it. And that analogy for life is really good. That You know, life will catch up with you, just ride the wave. That was beautiful, I loved that part. I like the image of that, you know, difficult day where Leva was watching the airplanes take off and land to face that trauma head on. That was the really moving, a moving moment. And um, yeah, it was, it was uh, astonishing to sort of think about all she's been through, which includes, I mean, you know, she didn't talk about it on the show, but just near death cancer and strokes and all kinds of different things she's been through in her life. So if you really want to enjoy life a little bit more, go to crazymba.com, check that out, and that's a bit crazy. If you'd like uh, a more serious approach to your life and business, uh, and you want to take a minute or two out, go ahead and find us on thoughtpartnergroup.com. Thank you.